This podcast contains difficult content that may be triggering to some listeners. Please be advised. just heard was from a video that was taken during the Malifeld Corona protest on the 14th of March 2021 in The Hague, the Netherlands, and was uploaded on social media the same day. This happened a little over a year after the Dutch government announced the first lockdown in the country due to the rapid spread of COVID-19. The measures that were taken on March 13, 2020 in the Netherlands certainly weren't the strictest and the last ones. The measures that followed took away more and more freedom of the Dutch citizens, and the coronavirus took away more and more lives worldwide. As the Dutch government implemented more restrictions and even a curfew at the beginning of 2021, the Dutch people were getting tired of them and grew impatient. Many members of the Dutch society weren't content with the imposed corona measures and did not believe in the severity of COVID-19 thus decided to start protesting against these measures. Although many protests were peaceful, some took a dark and violent turn. During these protests, a lot of violence was encountered, not only from the police forces towards the protesters, but also from the protesters against the police. The protests got out of hand. This is Mosk and Fist. I'm Ariama Malghi and I'm here with my podcast group consisting of Maike Amar, Nikos Motos and Ralf Stoute. In this first and final episode of our podcast, we're going to talk about both police brutality and violence against the police during the corona protest in the Netherlands. I mean, the coronavirus has taken up a huge part in our daily lives. And even though measures are taken to keep the virus from spreading, many people are about done with them or never even agree with them in the first place. But not only COVID-19 has become a central point of discussion, but police violence has become one too. Not only police brutality during the corona protests made the news headlines, the violence of police forces that started in 2013 in the United States of America and then reached its peak in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd by a police officer on duty also sparked global controversy. The Mask and Fist podcast is a podcast to stimulate debate about violence during the corona protest. Is the police the only perpetrator in these types of situations? Was there a disproportionate use of force during these protests? To what extent do the views of protesters and police forces on the violence during the corona protest in the Netherlands differ? And is it possible to only have non-violent or peaceful corona protests in the future?
Before we continue with the interview fragments, we would like to provide you with some key definitions for you to be able to have a better understanding of the content of this podcast. Don't worry, it won't take too long and I won't be using too many difficult words. Let's keep this part short and sweet, shall we? So I've mentioned the word violence quite a few times already, but I understand if you don't exactly know what it means. Well, Violence entails extremely forceful actions or words that are intended to hurt people or are likely to cause damage. Some protesters during the corona protest on the Malifeld used violence against the police by calling them names, shouting at them and even firing illegal fireworks at the police. Another term I find important for you to understand is brutality. That is behavior that is very cruel or violent. Police brutality is sometimes used to refer to various human rights violations by the police. This might include beatings, racial abuse, unlawful killings, torture, or indiscriminate use of riot control agents at protests. During the corona protest on Malifeld, you could see police brutality when water cannons were fired at the protesters or when protesters were shoved and beaten by the police forces. Moreover, I want to talk about the term use of force when talking about the police. This one is a bit more complex than the previous terms, so listen carefully. The level of force an officer uses varies based on the situation. Because of this variation, guidelines for the use of force are based on many factors, including the officer's level of experience or training. An officer's goal is to regain control as soon as possible while protecting the community. Use of force is an officer's last option, a necessary course of action to restore safety in a community when other practices are ineffective. The police power to use force needs to be sufficiently based on domestic legislation. Particularly, the use of force needs to serve a legitimate objective as established by law. When the use of force is not aimed at achieving a legitimate objective as established in a domestic legislation, it is unlawful and does not fall within the scope of these guidelines. The domestic legislation itself must be in line with international human rights law and standards. An important aspect in this regard is the state's duty not to discriminate. Domestic legislation must affirm that the use of law enforcement powers, including the use of force and firearms, must be carried out without any discriminatory bias, for example on the grounds of race, ethnicity, religion, gender identity or political affiliation. The legislation itself must also be formulated in such a way that it does not de facto negatively affect a specific group of people more than the rest of the population. The last term I want to address is the term disproportionate. We call something disproportionate when it's too large or too small in comparison to something else. I'm going to throw in an example that may seem very logical, but makes the term very simplistic and easily understandable. For example, there's a fly in your house. This fly is very annoying because it keeps zooming and it just won't go away. You can do many things to get rid of the fly. Perhaps you can electrocute the whole house to get rid of it. That seems a bit too much, doesn't it? Electrocuting the whole house is a solution to your problem, but very disproportionate. Because you can also use a fly sweater to get rid of the fly, right? 
finally done with the definitions. Now we can move on to the fun part. If you can call it fun though. First, our interviewees will introduce themselves. Well, uh, I'm Steven de Oude, Steven de Oude. Um, I'm 25 years old. I'm uh, a master's student uh, at the VU, uh, Vrije Universiteit in uh, Amsterdam. And uh, I study there uh, human movement sciences. So, uh, yeah, that's my background. I uh, uh, know a lot of um, uh, the, the impact of uh, uh, exercise, uh, of uh, sporting events, but also just regular movement. But also the impact of like uh, lifestyle changes, uh, eating patterns, and some something like that. Um, and my name is René van Eck. Uh, I'm the uh, police commissioner in uh, this district. This is the uh, central district of the Hague, and this district uh, contains uh, uh, the shopping area, uh, government buildings, uh, and several embassies and uh, uh, some um, um, residential areas like uh, uh, the Schilderswijk uh, is one of the areas uh, here. Um, that's my main job and uh, uh, part of that I'm also a general commander of, uh, and I have to look for it, the large-scale special operation unit in Dutch it's called SGBO and that has been uh, that will be called when there is a large demonstration or a large large protest uh, uh, on the Mali field. So now that you're familiar with our interviewees, we're going to highlight some interview topics and start our own discussion about the protest on Mali field. Perhaps you will get to nuance your own opinion as well. We will start the discussion with the general ideas we had about the topic before starting this podcast. So hello guys, did you, uh, when choosing the subject, already know a lot of information beforehand on the corona protest or was it something that um, came after researching? Well, I think for me, um, I saw some stuff on the news, of course, like probably everyone did. Um, but like actual, actually what happened, yeah, as we've said many times, it's like the media only really gives one side. So to see the other side, you really need to look into it. Um, yeah, I think that if you live in the Netherlands and you just follow the news for a bit, you know what's going on, but you just don't know, um, to what lengths it's 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 happening or um whose fault it is i guess you can only be prejudiced yeah and also to add to this i think uh none of us expected the protest to get this big this uh and this many people to come to malifels and protest against these measures yeah so would you guys say that these corona protests are something of a newer uh, scope of uh, protests or uh yeah. Would you say that these are the protests you are used to in uh, in the Hague? Well, honestly, I've never really heard much about protests until Corona happened. So um, for me personally, 
I just feel like this is the first time I'm really hearing about violence during protest or even such big protests in the Netherlands or really nearby in The Hague. Yeah, and especially because it's such a weird topic, because I don't think we know very many people that do not agree with any of this or do not believe that Corona is a real thing. Yeah, because so many to, people died. Yeah, and for them to gather in such large numbers for such a topic that we don't think is... Um, well, I, I do think there have been like big protests before. I, I mean, the, um, you probably all remember the the farmers' protests that happened when they just went and came in with all their um, tractors. And yeah, tractor. <laughs> so like that was that was also really big. But no, of course, there was no like no violence in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's definitely new. That does feel uh, a lot different. Um, but interestingly, uh, when we spoke um, to police officer, uh, he he did tell us that there were like many protests, like a lot, and that often they did have to well, at least they 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 are always there. They always have to make sure that everything goes according to, uh, well, like order. Everything stays orderly. Um, so I, I do think, I, I think he actually also said that, um, well, because we asked him uh, a similar question, we asked, are, do you think these protests are very much different than protests you've seen before? And I don't, he, he didn't really seem to think it was that different than anything else. Yeah, but just like another day for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but he also told us that he had so many protests to take care of, like, like a lot of them. Um, so, yeah, I think that... I guess your scope really depends on what you hear on the news. Because this this came in the news, like, almost every evening. And um, the farmers' protest also came on the news, but in... Well, a lot, lot less, a lot less. Yeah, but yeah. That's, uh, that's probably also because corona impacts um, everyone in, the, in, the, in society. While the... Uh, of course, the effects on the... Uh, Farmlands also impact us, for, for for example, with prices in the supermarkets, uh, etc. But they are uh, yeah, it's more niche. It's more niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And because these affect um, the corona affects everyone in society, that the news also covers way more of the protests and uh, etc. And that's maybe also why the police officer didn't think it was any any different than on the than uh, other protests. And also think that it's. Oh, and I also think that it's good that um, you hear a lot about these protests because we know, like I can say for all four, four of us, that we know that these measures are here to um, make sure that we're in a safe environment and that they are needed. But it's also good to have critics because these measures do take away a lot of our freedoms. As you just heard, we already have some knowledge about the subject. But you might have also already noticed that the four of us alone already have mixed opinions. To amplify how people can look differently upon the same topic, the next fragment will show how the definition of violence can differ as well. Um, what, what would you define as uh, violence? So would you say that uh, being a bit rough, pushing and stuff like that, is that also violence? Or do you have a certain bar uh, where it is violence or non-violence? <laughs> Um, no, if, if, um, I do see like there are gradations there, um, it's a, it's a build up, uh, skill. Um, like if, if some people are, um, 
standing their ground, just to say, and, and, and the, the police officers are coming closer and then you're just like eye to eye and then they just push or try to uh, push you away. And if you're still ignoring that, maybe some hitting, yeah, that's, that's the, le the, the, the least thing uh, you can do. Sometimes uh, violence is, is needed uh, because when you get hit uh, by a stick or by a chain, mm -hmm. yeah, then violence is needed to get somebody in control yeah. um, or to defend yourself. Uh, but um, a push is not violent in legal terms. No. Okay. But what do you say crosses the line for you as a as a commissioner, what would you say actually when what when the protesters start being uh, dot dot dot, you get you Yeah, what what specific uh, action undertaken by protesters would you say is violent? Physically. Physical violence. Physical violence is, Physical, is, uh, not a, is always a reaction by the police. So if they start punching if they start uh, punching or they pushing? Uh, pu no pushing, I mean, they will get be pushed back. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> that's not. That, but that's not. Yeah, specific. The, the amount of violence will get the reaction it asks for. Okay. Uh, so when you push somebody, you will be pushed back. When you yeah. hit somebody, you will be hit back. Okay. Uh, uh, so they both definitely give like very different perspectives, of course. Um, which is quite interesting if you think about it because it, it can be pretty subjective uh, if you look at uh, if you look at it so I think what were our uh, definitions of violence actually yeah I think one thing that was really uh, weird about it is that the police officer already said that violence starts at a certain point so for example he didn't think a push was violence but he didn't think that something worse was violence but I think that as soon as you hurt someone, as soon as you touch someone, it already uh, is violence in a malicious way, of course. Yeah, it's kind of funny. He tried to be very objective about it by staying true its true meaning, according to him. But yeah, the lawful meaning. Yeah, but, but the, the, the thing is, is, it's still very subjective because what if one of his police officers who works for him and is at the protest, uh, he gets pushed and he thinks that it's still... Uh, more than the uh, uh, that it's violent instead of uh, what he might have think that it was non-violent so it's felt still even though it's a very objective uh, law definition it's still a bit subjective which is kind of interesting yeah, I, I think there's a large gray area but i do get why he gave the 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 legal term for it because of course you need to have like a, a term something you can act on uh, which is of course very important for the police but would you also say that words can be violent as well? Not only actions, like yeah. physical actions, but words as well? I don't know. I'm, I'm not completely sure. I think some words can be very provocative and that can um, like cause a physical reaction, like a physical altercation, which can become violent. Um, but I don't think that, like the, the, that you can actually be violent with only words yeah with yeah. only words but I, I agree i agree you can you can like in, indeed what you said you can be provocative so you can uh, try and get someone to become violent towards you but i don't think the words in itself um yeah, are violent but it's they may start the violence but it doesn't it's not violence itself because then in you could also think that if in the law 
and people go to the to the judge and then they say uh, he, he insulted me so I hit him it, it doesn't it doesn't work yeah and also for the police officers they can't bully away the protesters so whatever they say they will not get rid <laughs> no. of them by calling them stupid or something yeah yeah I, uh, I, I definitely also think it's important to differentiate because otherwise it would be this is equal to that and yeah that makes it yeah very also, but can there also be different types of violence yeah, of course because um if you have two people um bad mouthing each other or calling each other names i do call that violent as well yeah and also think it's important to differentiate when the violence is necessary and when it's not necessary because the processor saw the violence that concurred as something not necessary while the police officer said this, this had to be done yeah, to get these yeah, people but to be appeal. fair the police officer also said that when he acts uh, violently uh, in return that it is always the appropriate amount of uh, measures that yeah measures maybe that need to be taken against the violence coming to them so I, I do think uh, something interesting uh, which is uh, I think it's uh, almost what you said so it was like if you push a police officer he will push back um, but he might do it harder um, but he did say that, that it was fair in that way so he, do, he wouldn't react like that if you didn't do anything to him things are heating up here in the podcast studio but we're not done just yet okay so what was the most interesting or shocking thing you listened to in the interviews um, well for me it was the um basically the the amount of personal criticism police officers have to deal with uh, especially in these new times with more social media usage where because i asked the we asked the police officer what he um, thought was different maybe about these protests and the only thing he could mention was the personal uh, was that there wasn't really a difference anymore between the professional life of a police officer and the personal life so where the protesters may uh, try and stalk the person or beat him up because the police officer was for example undercover in a protest um, and social media helps with that because people can leak addresses and get uh, yeah people to help them in stalking them and that really uh yeah i think he said that that was like a new like trend yeah that started to appear and then yeah, i think he also said uh, he's word that's gonna happen more and more often um that sounds very very scary that someone will just attack your private life uh like, of course there's a lot of emotion involved in these protests but i think that's just yeah way too far and it, Really, that's also a thing that I found really interesting about our uh, this, our, our interview with the police officer is that uh, he really did a great job at humanizing uh, individual police officers. And I think that's very important that, to see that these are still people. Um, yeah, they also have families. They, they go home after a day's work and they're people. They're not just their uniforms. Uh, we we also act uh, with policemen in uh, civil uh, um, uh, in undercover undercover yes undercover. Uh, and they have you have to do that because you have to make arrests and and nowadays there is a reaction from the protesters to uh, get violent to this uh, to these kinds of policemen they uh, put them on the social media they ask them where the family lives and they are threatening them 
and that's uh, is that specifically new to the yeah protest that's as quite new yes from the last years not for corona all only but for the last year media and, the, and would you yeah. say that this kind of response by protests has gone worse over the last few N not in general but this is an this is a new a uh, new way of uh, uh, handling with the police, uh, which is not, I, I think it's not, not done. I think that brings me to another thing that was just really interesting to, to see, and that's just how uh, nuanced both of them were, were. So where we expected them to be a lot more hardline, one side of the story, it, it was just totally not the case. Um, and I think that really uh, showed that our expectations, uh, which we discussed before, were just completely wrong. Um, and this would mostly uh, be due to the news coverage, which is often just one-sided. Yeah, so I think what I find really uh, shocking to see maybe is that the protester really felt hurt um, by what happened and that he wasn't exactly really angry at the police officers, but they did see him as a protector of some sorts and to be like sort of attacked in his mind uh, by the people that are supposed to protect you protect you um, I think it was really interesting how we talked about that um, yeah the, the mobile unit or something like that um, they were jumping out of a, a van which was uh, driving uh, on the field kind of impressive like Speedy was going, and then these uh, yeah police officers uh, um, came out running with their baton. Uh, it's it's like a um, yeah uh, um, sh slapping stick, um, and they were really hitting pe people like who were sitting there. Who were uh, uh, there were some protesters standing still though. But they had a banner in front of them, which was uh, love, um, uh, peace, love, peace, and no dictatorship. That, that was the banner it was saying that. And they were standing it uh, and, and holding that. And like two people who were like in front of me of 10 meters or something like that, they got hit because they were still holding on on the banner while the police officers were trying to uh, take it off of them. And then they, uh, they, they actually hit them. And I saw one guy of those, um, uh, yeah, um, getting uh, off after, after the hitting, he was uh, traveling back towards me. And then I saw he had blood on his face. Like he, he got hit here. So I also know uh, with a slight um, push uh, on your head uh, or, or hit on your head, you can bleed quite aggressively. Like, But it still got my attention and I thought, wow, what world are we getting in? Yeah. yeah. I think the most important part to realize from these fragments is also that you just have to remember that both of them are just humans. One is doing their job and the other one is... Standing up for what he believes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I think that is very important that we also, as a society, protect that image. With even more frustrations rising, it becomes difficult for the both sides to listen to each other. But yeah, we were standing there like uh, one and a half hour 
and then just out of nowhere the the something changed uh, and i was really in the center of it and i have also uh, many contacts because i was involved with uh, some people who organized this one and they were in actually in contact with the police and um yeah um, they they said to me that um, even when uh, when there was a good contact with uh, the, the the head commissioner, um, suddenly the, someone uh, from the police uh, department said, uh, "We have to get rid of them. They have to move off the field." And um, that initiated their their movement with uh, water cannon, with horses, uh, uh, vans driving up on the field and. Like I, I said before, uh, jumping out of the van and immediately trying trying to hit to hit someone, I I really don't understand how uh, that could be due to some miscommunication. I don't understand it. Mostly, uh, the mayor will enter protest when 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 uh, there are too many participants, because the mayor said a maximum of two hundred participants, and they're coming three hundred or four hundred people. Then he will end it because of the health rules and when a mayor ends the, uh, the protest we as police will announce it four five six times by megaphone okay so it's it's very unlikely that for one of the protesters it's not heard uh, it, yeah. it's not heard or it's suddenly a decision yeah. to 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 stop the protest okay. um, and uh, mostly we also tell us why tell them why the mayor ends the protest and is it told to uh, again with megaphone or is yes, this always by megaphone. communicated uh, with the organization? Uh, with the, the organization and by megaphone and sometimes uh, mostly also by uh, social media. Social so media. by uh, Twitter or something like that. Okay, so in the interviews we heard one specific and I think really clear um, difference in perspective from both interviewees. Um, and the perspective, that being the situation, was um, the moment the protesters were like sort of pushed off the Mali felt. Yeah, the moment that the that the protest ended. Yeah, the moment that the protest ended, because on the one side we had the police officer who said, "Well, we gave them uh, five warn at least five warnings uh, before we." Well, yeah, with the megaphone also. Yeah. yeah, before we stood in line and really pushed them off the field. Um, but on the other side, the protester said that for him it was really ab abrupt. Abrupt? Is that what Yeah, he said that this, there was no notice of, uh, or of some sort. Yeah, there was, no, there was nothing mentioned to him and out of nowhere he just had to leave the had to leave the protest, which was very weird for him, especially because he wasn't doing anything uh, wrong, according to him. He was sitting there at the, at the Malifeld, which is, according to the uh, protester, was completely legal. Um, he was also very surprised that people who were sitting in front of him, who, uh, who did nothing, got um, attacked by a baton if i remember correctly right Rob? no i don't think that, that was like with the sitting people i think he, he was talking about someone no. who was like i i think he even 
I don't remember exactly what his words were, but it was basically he was running towards him and he was hit by the by Ben. Yeah, yeah. And he bled a lot. That's what he said as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really it, but it was probably uh, the most important thing. It was very abrupt that he had to leave, and he also felt a bit uncomfortable because of it, because he didn't get any information that they had to leave, and then out of nowhere they started using. Uh, yeah, but yeah. that's the the, the interesting the part. So he yeah. said that he didn't get any information. Yeah. yeah, but the police said that they that they when they remove people they at least notify them like five times through the megaphone. Yeah. And, etc before actually getting their hands on the protesters. I also think it's interesting to look at the media again with this because when you look at the news you see a lot of fragments of the police telling them to get off the field and them staying there but as we heard just now that there are really two different side to, sides to the story yeah, so it's, it's which one's really yeah, Do you also think that is because um, they're both they're both in really well ki- different kind of situations because the police, they have this strong thing in mind, like, we have to get them off the field, we're going to do this this way. But as a protester, you're really there, you see all these policemen um, on horses with guns and all all those things. I think that's quite intimidating, and and you don't really hear or see anything around you anymore, but mm-hmm. that specific thing, yeah. because you're intimidated by it. And yeah, that's the funny thing maybe that that while the one while the one while the police police said that the horses were meant to calm the protesters and show yeah. like a bit of authority the protester uh, said that the horses actually inspired a lot of fear in him and uh, yeah he felt intimidated yeah, yeah. which is kind of weird when the police says that they try to calm the protesters but the protesters feel intimidated and kind of yeah on edge because of the pro- because of the horses yeah, yeah. But I, I do get both sides. On the one hand, of course, like, horse is very big animal. Um, and then you see a horse rider coming close. It's it's intimidating. But on the other hand, I, I wouldn't want to hit uh, an animal, right? Yeah. You don't want to hit a horse. Like, that's just not something that, you, that a normal person would do. Also, so in that way, it might be calming. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of get that. I also think that both sides are so full of thinking that they are right at that moment that it might be difficult to say, okay, well, I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, w- w- I think what you're trying to say is, so, whereas uh, the protesters said we didn't really get a warning, I think just saying you need to get uh, off the field wasn't enough. They wanted, like, clarification. Why do we need to get off the field? That's what they wanted. Yeah, exactly. And when they didn't get that, they felt more, uh, like, well, hostile towards the police because they were, like, we're not doing anything wrong, so why do we have to get off? Yeah. But it's also important to know that the uh, issue to get off the field is ordered by the uh, by the mayor of the Hague, so it isn't the police itself, the police force, who say, "Okay, this is getting out of hand. We need to get them out of here." It's the mayor who issues the order. Okay, the, they need to leave the Maliveld. So, the police. I can see that some police officers who are on the ground don't know why maybe they have to remove the people there but that they're just issued and their orders are to remove the people so that's also where a miscommunication can occur because the protesters may think that those police officers know the reason for removing them and not telling them and not telling them while there is no yeah well the justification is just not known yeah
with this we will end our discussion part So after doing our research by reading many news articles and collecting stories from all around us, we're really starting to realize that the subject of violence during the corona protests in the Netherlands is a very complex one. The stories you read and hear aren't as black and white as they seem to appear. There is no one side that was completely in the wrong. Both parties are the perpetrator in these situations and both parties are the victims as well. One thing is certain and not that complex. There is a solution to prevent violent actions from happening during a corona protest in the future. Do you think that there would eventually be a solution for that or is that way too far in the future? The only solution is listen to each other and respect each other uh, for uh, things uh, uh, we have to do and things we want to say. Um, and. We have, uh, uh, we have the right to, to protest, but we also have the limitation of protesting. Just like police officer Van Eck said, the only solution is to listen to each other, regardless of whether or not you agree with the opposite party. If you listen to each other and respect the fact that one party has the right to protest, voice their opinion, and that the other party has a job to do to protect themselves and other citizens, and that protest protesting has limitations as well no violence is needed to get your point across you agree don't you and i know what you're thinking This is probably a lot to take in, right? But just regard this podcast as something to get you thinking about these different perspectives and perhaps even a topic to discuss with your family and friends. Because in the end, that's what this podcast is all about. Providing you with some food for thought and spark discussion. First and final episode of Mask and Fist has been presented to you by Leiden University, Faculty of Global Governance and Affairs. Editing by Maika Amar. Music by Rafi Malghi. It is produced by Maika Amar, Nikos Motos, Ralf Stoute, and me, Ariama Malghi. We would like to thank our two interviewees, Steven de Oude and René van Eck. On behalf of my whole group, I want to thank you so much for listening.